Hey, it's Andy. Just to say, in this episode, I talk uh, extensively about the Double Masters 2022 Alt Art Boardless Art Treatments uh, for all the wonderful cards that are in this set. And I refer to them multiple times, if not exclusively, as the box topper art versions of many of the cards in the set. Because in the original Double Masters product, that is exactly what they were. The box toppers being the promo alt art borderless treatments for cards in the regular set that you could acquire when you bought a booster box of cards, and this was the extra card you got on top. Or indeed, two extra cards, I think. I'm making things up again. In this Double Masters 2022 product, that is not the case, and these alt art cards can be found in booster packs instead, and not as box toppers, which is great as an accessibility thing for awesome cards in a product. Not so good for lazy content creators who can't keep up with the fact that Watsy decides to change what their product is every single time. Um, so yeah, that's right, I'm, I'm blaming Wizards of the Coast for my absolute inability to do the most basic of research, and uh, there's nothing you can do about it. So there. Stop going on about it. Stop highlighting it. It's done. Alright. Here's the episode, enjoy. Welcome to Magic the Flavoring, the Magic the Gathering podcast, where we talk about all things magic, flavor design, and lore. I'm your host, Andy Mann, and today we're going to be talking about Double Masters 2. Double Masters, or as a lot of us are calling it, uh, Commander Legends 2, because let's face it, this set was always what Commander Legends was meant to be. No uh, shade on Battle of Borders Gate, but that should have just been AFR 2. Um, this set is fantastic. I'm just going to come straight out of the, the gates, no chit-chat and whatever. This set is amazing. I can't wait to not be able to afford to play it, because <laughs> um, it is, as well as being one of the, the most lucrative reprint sets of all time, and potentially the most well-constructed uh, Masters set of all time, including uh, sets like the original Double Masters, which was incredible, and Ultimate Masters, which was another absolute highlight in the Masters series. Um, this is also shaping up to be one of the most expensive Magic products of all time per booster pack. Um, but this isn't an MGG Finance podcast. This is a Magic Flavor podcast, if you didn't already uh, know that. Um, and so we're going to be looking at the flavour. I think I mentioned a couple of episodes ago how about Double Masters sets were a really good place for new flavour to be coming in uh, to the game because they offer an opportunity for the box toppers to have new art and new flavour for existing format staples. And the problem with the, the reason these cards get printed in these sets, the, the kind of cards that are chosen as box toppers or, or big reprint XE, is because they are. there's a couple of ways that these cards get expensive, right? They're, they're either expensive because they're format warping or they're incredibly sought after, especially in uh, sort of constructed formats where you need four copies of a certain card, for example, and if they're in... Uh, uh, when Pro Tours were more of a thing, if the... If the best deck had a four or something, that card would shoot up in value in modern decks as well. But the other way that these cards get so expensive is if there's a scarcity of them, right? If there was only ever like one printing or two printings or or if something's on the reserve list and yada yada yada. 
So when they do get reprinted in these sets, it's often the first time they've been reprinted or a limited time that they've been reprinted and this is the perfect opportunity to give a card which we all know the flavour text and the art of like the back of our hands a new lease of life and again just like the original Double Masters they've absolutely smashed it out the park so I'm going to go through a lot of the new art and new flavour that's been put on these reprinted cards, because all the cards in this set are reprinted, so I don't need to keep specifying that. I'm not going to go through all of the flavour. There's lots of stuff in here which is either uh, sort of flavour just kind of retreaded, like, for example, uh, Assassin's Trophy, um, the box topper art, shows a similar scene to the original art for uh, Assassin's Trophy, where you have Vraska and a uh, stonified, calcified, gorgonized, I don't know, uh, Head of Asperia. That's not new flavour for that card, right? That's just that same scene with new artwork, and that's absolutely fine. So I'm going to be talking about some of my favourite new lore and flavour, but it, not even all of the cards, because as I say, there's so much of it going on. I'm going to be talking about the ones that I find the best, the ones that speak to me the most, uh, and kind of light that Vorthos fire. Um, as ever, it's a mixture of personal preference and laziness, that I don't just go through all of the cards. But hey-ho, there we go. Um, right, I'm just going to dive in. I've got f two, three, three sort of honourable mentions, and then I'm going to dive into a few of them a little bit deeper. So first honourable mention is City of Brass. City of Brass, I mean, has actually had a couple of different artworks throughout the years, but this is just such an unbelievably sought-after card, and people will know the classic Young Park artwork. I think, for my money... Uh, is probably one of the most recognisable, which that in itself is something that is the uh, sort of a riff on the Ron uh, Wolotsky artwork, which is the kind of classic artwork, I suppose. Uh, not the OG artwork, which was by Mark Tedden. Everyone knows Mark Tedden. Um, it wasn't even the second artwork, because uh, Tom Winterstrand also uh, Winterstrand also did artwork for it. I'm just listing all the artists that have done a City of Brass art now. Let's not do that. The new arts, the two new arts in this set for City of Brass, you have in the regular set, you have uh, Kristen, uh, Kirsten, sorry, Kirsten Zernigbil, I'm terrible with names, you all know this, uh, has done an artwork for the regular set, uh, and the flavour text reason there, there is much to learn here, but few can endure the ringing of the spires, Nalukan the Archivist, I don't think I've ever seen Nalukan before, I could be wrong, um, this cityscape is beautiful and wonderful and has a lot of range, but it's the box topper borderless art. I'm going to call it borderless that I'm really interested in. This is by Mark Paul. We all know Mark Paul. Classic Mark Paul. There are a lot of returning classic magic artists in this set, and we'll get onto a few of them later on. This City of Brass uh, artwork with the flavour text, To walk its streets is to burn in its beauty. Um, this is a very sort of steampunky aesthetic to this city. It's all, like, uh, monorail networks going around sort of concentric rings, it looks like, in the, in the cities rising through the middle. And there's airships, like balloon ships, floating around the cityscape as well. This is a really inspiring bit of artwork, because we have been to planes where there's been, like, a steampunk aesthetic or, like, an airship aesthetic before. Think of things like, you know, like, Kaladesh and um, Akoria. People forget Akoria had, like, airships. <laughs> People just remember the monsters. But it had, like, you know, these flying cities. 
I don't think this is either of those planes. It certainly doesn't seem it to me, and I don't think we've been to this plane before. So the reason this is an honourable mention, I've already spent too long on it, is because I am actually kind of in to this kind of steampunk aesthetic for for magic, and I think we need more of it. When we were when we were talking about Baldur's Gate uh, a couple of episodes ago, I was really excited at the idea of having like Spelljammer sort of pirate ships in space, and I know that's not quite steampunk, I know, but it's it's sci-fi it's science science fantasy right um is that how i described it as opposed to science fiction that's not how i described it whatever <laughs> so yes i want more of that where is this plane i want to go there let's do it all right next honorable mention this is very quick we get another flicker wisp artwork obviously everyone knows flicker wisp because it's a format staple in many different formats by jeremy nco um Creepy as hell, don't like it, never liked it. And now we get a box topper artwork uh, by Thomas M. Baxter. Uh, there is a human for scale. Don't like it. It's a lot smaller than the Flicker Wisp. I thought Flicker Wisps were small. I thought they were tiny little things, or at least things that were maybe like the size of a cat. Terrifying. Uh, this is like, I don't know, giant? I don't know how to describe it. It's awful. Burn it. Moving on. <laughs> We've got Chaos Warp by the one and only Phil Foglio. Are you kidding me? Phil Foglio is back, baby, and he's done... I think it's the first artwork that Phil Foglio's done since, like, 1998. Or something crazy with... Uh, I think the last artwork that he did was, uh, was for Tidal Surge in 98. Yeah. That's absolutely nuts. Not the again, not the only returning artist from that period of magic. But the reason this really speaks to me is not just because Phil Foglio is like a, a magic legend and a very sort of distinctive cartoon, uh, sort of like absurdist style. It's the fact that the Chaos Warp is so on the money for what Chaos Warp is used for in game, right? And what by that I mean is that there's been a few printings of Chaos Warp. Uh, we, I had a problem with Chaos Warp because it was a card that was so ubiquitous in Commander, which is the main format I play, but only had the one uh, Trevor Claxton printing, which, no offence to that artwork, it's great, but when you see it set after set after set after set, gets a little bit tired. Then we had the Strixhaven uh, Mystical Archives swing back around uh, and we got two new printings for Chaos Warp which are obviously fantastic but they were both very much a, a sort of play on a theme it was very much like a dragon turning into something else because that was just the aesthetic they went for but with the Filfoglio artwork you have a goblin whose armour and weapons are being turned into butterflies as they're being sort of like warped away from his body uh, the flavour text is confused but undeterred. The butterflies charged into battle. Flavour text is absurd as the artwork. Fantastic. The reason I love this so much is not only we're we getting a new Chaos Warp, art, Warp artwork, but the idea that in Magic, very often, removal doesn't actually get used on the creature, right? If it's creature removal. What it often will do is get rid of any equipment that is on the creature that's giving it, say, like, Shroud or Hexproof or, or whatever else, Indestructible. So, for example, this would be a fantastic, you know, removal for a Lightning Greaves or a Swiffer Boots or, um, I'm trying... Dark Still Plate, that's what I'm thinking of. So it's just really nice to see that in this artwork for Chaos Warp, not only is it functioning in its own right, but it is functioning in the context of Magic the Gathering as a game. So, yeah, big marks for me. 
keep it coming. Returning since 98. Excellent. All right, here we go. Here's the more of the deep divey ones. Although the way that I'm talking about the uh, the honourable mentions, maybe maybe they're all just deep dives. I don't know. Sensei's Divining Top. Um, Sensei's Divining Top is back. It should have been in Kamigawa Neon Dynasty. No. Uh, that's something that we're going to find a lot, I think, with this set, is not only is there this kind of consensus, maybe, that a lot of the reprint equity for Commander cards that maybe should have found its way into Commander Legends 2, Battle for Baldur's Gate, we're also seeing cards that could have very easily slotted into recent sets and returning to recent sets as well so people were really surprised i was as well that we didn't get a cyberpunk top in neon dynasty and that's because we're getting it here now we're not getting it in the main set the main set is still the uh oh who did the original artwork for yeah uh the michael uh Sutphin artwork which we know from OG Kamigawa block, uh, and obviously there is, of course, the Rob Alexander uh, Sensei's Divining Top from uh, where is it from? Eternal Masters, that's the one. Both of them iconic in their own right. I, my personal preference leads towards the the OG artwork, um, and I also have a little life counter that's in the shape of a top as well. One of my most prized magic accoutrements. Um, but we were all really thirsty to see the neon, the sort of like the cyberpunky version, right? Well, here it is, by artist Greg Staples, classic magic artist in their own right. Um, and it shows a top, plain and simple, uh, lying in some flowers with the neon cityscape behind it. And on the top itself, you see like a band of neon characters, like neon writing, going around the top itself. Now, when I first saw this card, I was a little bit disappointed, because it is still quite a traditional-looking top. and I felt like in my head when I was thinking of a Neon Dynasty Sensei's Divining Top, I was thinking of something very futuristic. Maybe more in line with the sort of origami uh, coding of the Kami. Maybe something a little bit more like, you know, uh, hologram focused. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe even something like to do with tattoos. I, don't, I thought they could have got really weird with it. So to see quite a traditional looking top, I was disappointed at first. But... I do think it actually makes a lot of sense. One of the big uh, flavour wins of Neon Dynasty, I think, was their kind of um, balance between having the old world of Kamigawa versus the new sort of technology world of Neon Dynasty. And that was something that we spoke about a lot in sort of the basic lands. I think I did a little sort of pre-record in one of my interview episodes recently where I spoke about the land, the basic land cycle, where they had, you know, both halves of the, the Kamigawa's new world, but they were kind of intermingled together. And I liked that about the lands. And I think the more I look about this top, I think I see that as well. And so I'm I'm really into it. I am still very sad that this is just a promo artwork, a box topper artwork, and not something that we get maybe just as a third printing of top in a mainline set. But it, it seems like they're using... Double Masters 2 is the place to put a lot of these big reprints, and, you know, that's what they're doing. But really happy to see another top printing. This is a card that's pricing also goes all over the place, um, and it's always expensive, so it's really good to see another Sensei's Divining top. So, yeah, good job, Greg Staples. All right, moving on. It's a card that I will probably never play, but do appreciate. 
and that is Ethervile. So we have a third printing for Ethervile in the uh, fourth printing, apologies, in the box topper. So the first two printings, um, the original was the Greg Hildebrandt uh, artwork, the one that I think most people would be, I say most, I think a lot of sort of players that maybe weren't there for the first time around will more recognisably see the Karl Kapinski artwork, because it's the one that's had the most reprints. Um, and there was obviously a, what do they call these ones, Kaladesh Inventions? Yeah, by Raul Vitale. So it had like, you know, this is the one with the filigree gold border and there was a bunch of artifacts that got sort of like a premium treatment. This is, these are still some of the most sought-after printings of cards. Like, um, I think Wormcall Engine got one and Soul Ring, of course, got one and Ethvar got one and a bunch of them did. Uh, I think Panharmonicon is a card that I'm not going to talk about. That has also got a box topper treatment in this set. And I think that also got an invention. I don't know. So what's so special about the Double Masters 2 printing of Ethervar? Well, we get the Karl Kapinski printing as the mainline set. But for the box topper, we have another Greg Staples card. Greg Staples popping up again. Of, essentially, another take on the Inventions Ethervar. But this time, it's playing part of a bigger scene. So a lot of the Inventions, not all of them, but most of them had kind of the artifact sort of sat in its own right, just kind of placed in the middle frame. For example, the the Raul Vitale Ethervar, you can see that it's in like a room, its own room on a plinth, because you can see the columns of the room behind it, but it's not really doing anything, it's just kind of sitting passively in the seam. The Ethervar in the Greg Staples artwork has two very familiar hands about to grab it with a face in the darkness. One of the hands is red. This is Dak Faden. The world's the world's greatest thief. Oh my gosh. The greatest thief in the multiverse. <laughs> uh, I'm not the biggest Dak fan. I don't know why I tried to attempt that. I mean, it's incredible. It's just marrying up so much different flavour beats. And it's always great to see Dak. Because Dak is a fan favourite character. That, as we all know, met his end during the events of, World of the, uh, War of the Spark. Uh, you could have told that from just watching the trailer, obviously, but if you if you read the books, it's a similar sort of outcome. And, of course, Dak Faden would want to steal an Inventions Ether Vial. And the thing that I really like about this, a little bit like the Chaos Warp artwork, is that it's making the cards that we play with kind of work on two different levels where it's, it is the object that exists in the multiverse and is f having that function within the game itself, but also is exactly how we perceive it in the real world playing the game. And I know, you know, it's it's like, oh yeah, well done, Andy, you've got the symbolism there. But I think it is worth repeating, because as much as, you know, I, I am a bit of a, I don't know, flavour purist isn't the right term, but I'm not always the biggest fan of, like, super cute nods, or, you know, like, puns and all this kind of thing. When you're dealing with sort of promo cards of some description, so like these box toppers, for example, I think that is a really nice space to explore some of these, you know, kind of more knowing themes. And, you know, that's just me looking at it from a very wanky point of view. You know, it's like, oh, it's, of course this is be something that the greatest thief in the multiverse would want to steal, because it is itself an invention, and the invention cards are very expensive. But, obviously, it is obviously the card in itself, and even if you had no idea that the Inventions file existed, it still works in its own right. So yeah, big props, really well done. 
nice little legacy to the uh, Inventions artwork, and of course to Dak Faden. Cool. I'm going to move on to Concordant Crossroads. Now, this card has received a few different artworks. Uh, obviously, the Amy Webber one is the most famous. That shows like the cascading waterfalls with the uh, Bird of Paradise. Not the card Bird of Paradise, but like how we would describe a fancy bird <laughs> in the foreground. Um, this is the one green all creatures have haste card, just in case people never played this card because it's outrageously expensive. Um, it did receive another printing uh, in a secret layer. Uh, which secret layer was it? I don't know. It doesn't matter. Uh, from Siddharth Chachaverde, uh, which had a flavour of its own, which was like completely different. It showed like a spectral uh, horde uh, going over the top of two scared warriors, and had flavour text as well. The main this none of those neither of those two arts feature in the set whatsoever. So the the mainline set art is by Elena Dana, friend of the podcast, uh, and shows a classic Elena Dana sort of almost like a, it's like a forest scene, right? But this is one of those enchantments because it's also it's a world enchantment. It doesn't really have anything to do with this flavour. Um, you know, there are certain enchantments and certain cards that kind of lend itself to land art, and Elena has made, amongst many other niches in magic art, like, you know, Elena's well-known for creating huge sort of sweeping landscapes and, uh, like, crystalline creatures. Forests and trees and kind of glenscapes, I guess you could call them, is something that Elena does incredibly as well. So the mainline set has this kind of... I mean, it's a generic setting, I suppose. The uh, flavour text reads... The wolf closed in, but then a strange wind whispered through the leaves, and with a burst of speed, the deer surged forward out of reach. I'm going to choose to believe that this is Eldraine. There you go, because they have deer and wolves on Eldraine, so fuck it. So this <laughs> Eldraine Concordant Crossroads, it's definitely not Eldraine, but I'm going to believe it, um, is obviously very beautiful. Love Elena Zanon's work. The one that I'm really interested in from a flavour perspective, however, is the Mark Pool. Box topper artwork. God, it's getting everyone in, aren't they? This is on Kaldheim. The flavor text reads Realms emerge and wither like autumn leaves, but the world tree endures eternally. Essica, god of the tree. Now, again, a little bit like Dak Faden. A bit sad to hear from Essica, god of the tree, because last time we saw Essica in story, they were having a not so nice confrontation with Vorinclex. Um, I had to look that up because I kept thinking Urabrask. Uh, they were last seen having a, a not so nice confrontation with Vorinclex. Um, so it's nice to see more lore uh, on Esca. The other, re the reason I really want to talk about it is because we didn't get much of a story of Kaldheim, and I know that's ridiculous to say because we did get the web fiction and we got five main stories and five sub stories, and or was it four sub stories for Kaldheim? I forget, but we did get web fiction, and as as great as the web fiction individual episodes were, and as vital as it was to introduce characters like Nico Aris, and I have nothing against the stories that we were presented in Kaldheim, it was such a huge plane. It's a plane with ten realms that are all incredibly fleshed out and could just be set in their own right. Like, it was such a huge undertaking to try and make Kaldheim anything, and they tried to do it in one set that any bit of Kaldheim lore I want to snap up, because I know it's got a hook, it's Viking plane, and 
I know a lot of people didn't like it because it was so dense and so couldn't really get into the lore of it. And yes, again, we spent so many of those stories talking to the bloody humans on the Green White Plane and blah, 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 or Realm. I really like Kaldheim. I think there's a lot of potential. There's a lot of implications that it has for the larger multiverse as well because of its relationship with the cosmos and the world tree itself with the elixir of the cosmos, which will pop up again in Mainline Story because that's why Vorinclex was there and yada, 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 yada. So any bit of Kaldheim's story, I'm really in favour of. So to have this little glimpse of the world tree itself with the cosmos around it and its uh, sprawling roots into whatever realm or kind of sub-realm the world tree resides, it's just a really nice image that we didn't really get to see too much of outside of Eska's card. I think we did get a world tree. We did get a world tree card itself, actually, that's not true. But... As I say, anything is nice. Also, flavorfully, for the way card functions, having all creatures have haste, world enchantment, is a really nice idea to have as the world enchantment. I said it didn't matter flavorfully, it does. The idea that this affects everything on the board, and not just stuff on your side of the board, is a really nice idea for the centralized function that the world tree on Kaldheim takes. And the flavor text of Essica sort of objectively looking at the rise and fall of realms within the world of Kaldheim. The fact that these the the denizens of these realms, if the the realms wither and bloom and kind of come and go and it's all very quick to a god's eyes, the idea that creatures have haste and therefore have their form and function sped up is just a really nice way of doing it. And yeah, I think it's a perfect, perfect thing to put on to this card. So much so that I wouldn't have been shocked in hindsight. I mean it's all in hindsight I guess if this card had just shown up in Kaldheim as Concordant Crossroads, this is what the World Tree does. Or if the World Tree card had something similar. Uh, I'm going to see what the World Tree actually did, because I forget. Uh, World Tree, blah, 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 blah. Oh, it's got a god put it onto the battlefield. Yeah, rubbish. Concordant Crossroads is, I think, a much better choice. <laughs> nah, the World Tree was fine, actually, within the set. But, yes. Very good card, Concordant Crossroads. Alright, I've got Doubler. I've got a doubler for you. Next up, it's Young Pyromancer and Seasoned Pyromancer. Everyone knows Young Peasy. Come on. We've only had two artworks for Young Pyromancer. Can you believe that? We've got the OG artwork from M14 from the one and only Cynthia Shepard. Uh, that did get a couple of different frame treatments. For example, in Time's Bar Remastered, it got an old uh, frame. And in... Uh, when did it get that Chandra Flame? What set is that? Oh, it's signature spellbook. Oh, okay. I'm lo I'm looking at the stuff on Scryfall, if you couldn't tell. Um, I really did not like those Planeswalker frames at all. Um, but now we get Steve Prescott introducing us to both the new artwork for Young Pyromancer and new artwork for Seasoned Pyromancer. Again, a card that's only had two uh, printings of it. I mean, everything ties in so well. So, obviously, Seasoned Pyromancer as the card that was first introduced during the original uh, Modern Horizons. Again, an artwork by Cynthia Shepard. Uh, and seeing as Steve Prescott is doing both Young Pyromancer and uh, Seasoned Pyromancer in this set for the box topper, because the Cynthia Shepard's one are the main set ones, even that decision was absolutely excellent. Um, the character of Seasoned Pyromancer, whilst not explicitly stated on the card, is very clearly meant to be an all-grown-up version of a young Pyromancer because of the hair and the goggles and, you know, just the way that it's just the way that it's laid out, uh, the sort of stance and everything. 
uh, and that is very clearly meant to be how young Pyromancer and seasoned Pyromancer oh, God, stop saying the word Pyromancer uh, are laid out in the Steve Prescott uh, images. So it seems to me, it seems to my eye that the, this character is from Kaladesh uh, because in uh, seasoned Pyromancer you have the filigree arm ornaments, right? Um, both of them obviously being Pyromancers, so that there's a link there. Uh, they both seem like they're from the same plane because of the style of dress and everything. They have a tiger... Uh, sort of sash ornament, which I'm, there is a name for, I'm sure. Um, that is on both of the cards. And in Young Pyromancer, the Steve Prescott version, this character is making little uh, flame familiars that are cats, playing with a little flame ball of yarn, which is really cute. And in Season Pyromancer, these cats are now tigers to match the, the little sash ornament. Now, that's all great. Those all connections really work, and it's kind of like, oh, here's another version of this character. That's all wonderful. The, the kind of extra layer, the extra peel, which is really cool, is that, so the Steve Prescott versions are a character from Kaladesh. Chandra Nalar is a character from Kaladesh, and Chandra Nalar is linked to young Pyromancer, uh, specifically because uh, Cynthia Shepard's young Pyromancer card, uh, the character is wearing a brooch that has a picture of Chandra in the brooch. So it's this kind of nice full circle thing. Young Pyromancer, I've seen some people kind of suggest that the original Young Peasy is from Kaladesh. I don't think so because the the buildings in the background of that artwork doesn't suggest that. Um, so I think this is someone who's met Chandra as Chandra's kind of moved through the multiverse. Um, but just to have that kind of plain, plainer connection as well, it's just great. And obviously this card, the Steve Prescott card, isn't time-coded in like magic lore so this could be a character from like ancient quote-unquote Kaladesh or modern Kaladesh if it's a character from modern Kaladesh that's a really cool idea because the whole point of Chandra's struggle on Kaladesh is that uh, sort of uh, mages specifically were sort of frowned upon and outlawed and it was technology that kind of took the rise so if this is another pyromancer on the plane of Kaladesh that shows like a shift in the plane uh, dynamically and politically. So that's kind of exciting. I'm going to stop saying the word pyromancer. All right. Last up for my main picks for flavor. And then I'm going to talk about uh, another uh, honorable mention that I missed, but I just remembered. Uh, and that is Anger of the Gods. Ooh, baby. I really like the function of this card. Shame that its OG artwork is by an uh, artist that we all agree is a bit of a douchebag nowadays. Um, Noah Bradley was the OG artist for Anger of the Gods. Uh, that was in original uh, Theros block. And the artwork is bang on for what we need to do. So the, the flavor text is, there was no reason to pray. This is already an act of the gods. And it shows a man carrying under a tree with uh, spitfire fire uh, raining from the heavens. And it's uh, an artwork that beautifully uh, conveyed the anger of the frozen gods. It's also in the um, Command Zones uh, podcast opening titles on their YouTube channel. Uh, that was animated uh, by Jeffrey Palmer, uh, who... If you don't know who Dunho Jeffrey Palmer is, go look them up. They're amazing. Um, animating magic cards for for a long time now. Um, but 
as anyone who's kind of been in the Magic Zeitgeist knows, and it's not something we've talked about too at length in this podcast because you don't really want to give them too much of a platform either, uh, Noah Bradley is one of the artists that in recent history uh, has been sort of let go by Wizards of the Coast because of... Uh, allegations specifically in noah bradley's case um revelations not allegations revelations of uh noah's predatory nature towards women um in various different settings and just general utter douchebaggery so that's a card art that i think people are very uncomfortable playing with and there are quite a few cards in magic now from artists as you know the game becomes more socially conscious and artists become more of a focal point of the game I mean, I don't know if I need to say it explicitly, do I? People people should be held up and accountable more often, right? <laughs> and if you don't want to be held accountable, then shush and shut up, which is something some artists have, and indeed many different figures in the game have just not not learned. Um, so this is the card people don't really want to play in their decks because of the artwork. Fair enough. I'm someone who also doesn't play in our, uh, Bradley artwork in my decks. But it is a good card. And it also is an area rife for exploration, and we just haven't had those printings yet. Then comes, uh, I can't remember, because I don't play Arena, I can't quite remember what it was. Was it Amonkhet Remastered? Is that how they described it? They, re- they re-released Amonkhet on Arena, uh, but a more curated, uh, curated set uh, to work on Arena, and there were some new cards, and one of the new cards that got brought in for this kind of specialised Amonkhet set was Anger of the Gods. This time, from uh, an artwork from... I'm going to really fuck this name, I'm so sorry. Uh, Yeet Kuroglu. Uh, and this depicted Hazaret from Amonkhet as the angry god in question. Still a very similar motif, uh, raining down hellfire from the heavens, but just immediately, if you juxtapose it to the Throsian artwork, where the, the, kind of, the way the gods operate on different planes does wildly differ. And it is really cool to see a central theme, like a card, for example, and the mechanics of the card still being centred around the act of a god, but then the artwork really screwing down into what that flavour is. So instead of the the Therosian gods that are literally intangible upon high and nicks, raining down this kind of very... um, What's the word? Sort of intangible punishment because even the flavor text suggests that you know there was no reason to pray this was already an act of the gods so you know it's kind of a lot more detached like how the gods operate on theros to seeing a god literally depicting the artwork causing directly this hell a hellfire to rain down as is the case in amonkhet with the gods walk among literally walk among the people so very cool next time we saw anger of the gods we get Yargle <laughs> in the Yargle Day secret lair, and Yargle is experiencing uh, the wrath of a god, unknown god. Oh, I was supposed to be on Urborg, wouldn't it? Um, on Dominaria. Eating those clerics might have been a bad idea. Ha 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 ha. Obviously, secret lair cards are kind of hard to come by. Then we get the Time Spire Remaster artwork, which brings back the Noah Bradley art, which people are kind of upset about, rightly so. It was already in print. But the only two cards in print, remember, was the Yargle artwork and the Theros artwork, because that Amonkhet artwork was only on Arena. Now comes Double Masters, and we get for the first time in paper that Yeet Kuroglu artwork with the Amonkhet gods. Perfect. But wait. There's another plane that has tangible gods that we've been to since Theros. 
and that is Kaldheim. Kaldheim's making another appearance on this list, because I think it deserves to be there. We get from Dermot Power, an artist that, again, hasn't been around since 1998, and I am going to check that whilst recording. That's true, yes. <laughs> so they've got three cards in this set. They've got uh, Weathered Wayfarer, which gets completely new uh, flavour as well in, in its main card uh, in the set, not even the box topper. Uh, Spell Pierce box topper and Anger of the Gods box topper. But the last uh, the last set they did artwork for was Urza's Saga, the last block. Yeah, man. Whew. Uh, look up cards like Umbilicus. That's a really popular one. Rewind. Everyone knows Rewind. Uh, Sarah Avatar is another big one. Constant Mists is another Gravedigger. Uh, just, you know, they've only done a handful of cards, really, in the grand scheme of things, but they're very iconic. Um, and they're back with Anger of the Gods. And here we see uh, Toralf, the god of thunder and lightning, the, the Thor allegory, um, being all Thory and, you know, smashing a hammer down with lightning going everywhere, and they've got the winged helmet. I mean, this is literally, this is literally Thor, right? Uh, the flavor text says, Toralf struck the ground with his hammer, and a f the force of a thousand storms tore through the demonic horde. Burgie, god of storytelling. Burgie, of course, doing that thing which they do where they use other god stories to kind of pump up their own power, whether or not they're about them or not. Um, to have two different printings of this Anger of the Gods in the same set, both of them flavorfully on point, both of them connected thematically and expanding upon stories that we want to see more of. We did get two Amonkhet blocks, uh, Amonkhet sets. And we did see quite a lot of Amonkhet as well in War of the Spark because obviously that was kind of sort of Bolas's base of operations was on Amonkhet by that point. But to get to see in paper another little hook round to Hazaret is always welcome. And to get to see more of Kaldheim is also uh, also welcome. No need to we have to contend with the Ten Realms and the fact that Kaya was there and Tybalt and the Phyrexians. We also had two pantheons of gods. One of them we didn't see at all because that was kind of the point. But one of them we did see and we just didn't see enough of. So yeah, big props to Wizards for giving us two printings of Anger of the Gods. Both of them absolutely fantastic. And yeah, I love it. Well done. Kudos. Okay. I'm going to wrap up with another honourable mention. Uh, this time, the honourable mention goes to the Bounce Lands. The Ravnica Bounce Lands. This is the, the you know, uh, enters the battlefield tapped. When it enters tapped, uh, enters the battlefield, return land you control to its owner's hand. Two colour dual lands. We've had a couple of printings of each one of these. Uh, I think they get printed every time there's like a Ravnica set, and they get printed in every Commander product as well. Um, I'm not going to run through all of the artists, but we have a new round of them, all ten, in the box toppers. And the thing that I really like about these, the reason why they're my honourable mention, is because we finally actually get to see a land card associated with the guilds. I mean, the, these lands literally have like Gruel Turf, Izip, Willowworks, Ors of Basilica, la 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 la. Actually showing some of the day-to-day -day life of these different guilds, which I think is a huge missed opportunity on the cardboard. When uh, Nicky Drayden did their pre-War of the Spark Ravnik stories, they were all based around a day in the life of a guild member going about their guildly business, as opposed to, say, Planeswalkers or whatever. And that really fleshed out the guilds in like a very sort of like tangible way. And it's something that on the cards you just don't see as much, even though you should. And we've been to Ravnik a fuck ton of times. So... I love the fact that, for example, 
on Oars of Basilica, you actually get to see uh, an Oars of Sermon in progress in a church. In Rakdos Carnarium, you can see the three ring, three ring circus of horrors going on. In Gruul Turf, you can see all the different like Gruul tribes pummeling the crap out of each other for dominance. Golgori Rup Farm, you see quite a beautiful actually uh, vista um, of a gol a Golgori Rup Farm. I guess it is what it is. But you see like these giant mushrooms being grown from the ground as. We forget sometimes the Golgari are the main farmers and food producers for the majority of the plain because of overpopulation. They have to turn to fungus and, you know, things that grow as opposed to, you know, cattle or whatever they would have on Ravnica. I mean, probably not cattle because you do have Mindstore. You know what I mean. <laughs> and the the giant mushrooms are really beautiful in the Donato uh, Giancola artwork for Golgari Rock Farm. I'm not going to run through all ten. I just really love the fact that these lands that, I'll be honest with you, I've started taking them out of my decks. <laughs> Especially if they're... Yeah, if I feel like the decks already are, like have a, a decent enough mana base, like there are a lot of mana rocks, I do tend to take these out. But they are iconic lands to the game, because they're a very easy, accessible two-colour land to pop into your decks. So it's fantastic to see them get new artwork, artwork that's a lot more evocative of what the guilds actually do, and also get the borderless treatment. So yes, good job. Also, you just can't beat those two-tone text boxes, can you? The Is It One's always so cool. Yeah, anyway, I'm just looking at magic cards now. Um, <laughs> you ever listen to a podcast of a man just watching a screen? Oh, also, sorry, just going to chuck this at the very end there. Um, someone let Richard Kane Ferguson out and about, and it's fabulous. So, yay for Richard Kane Ferguson. I actually just bought a, an Archaea uh, art card, Profane Tutor, from uh, Tonsborough Remastered. Nothing to do with this set. But, I mean, we say this with about a lot of artists, but if, if there was a card game that was just exclusively Richard Kane Ferguson, I wouldn't be mad. Um, there's so much more flavour I haven't even touched on here. Wall of Omens, Gifts Ungiven, Thought Scour. The list could go on. I love these Double Masters sets for the flavour that they give, and I really hope, beyond hope, that people don't get priced out of playing this uh, format. There is a chance that I will be getting some of this format in to play, because uh, I, tomorrow... Well, tomorrow, by the time you're hearing this, technically in two days' time, I will be heading off to Command Fest Birmingham. Uh, Nathan who is now back in the country from his uh, trip to Mexico, I think is already in Birmingham right as I'm recording this. And tomorrow he'll be there for the Saturday. I'm just going up for the Sunday. And Nathan will be there for both days. As well as a bunch of our friends from uh, Rule Zero London, the best LGS in London and indeed the UK as far as I'm concerned. Uh, and I'll also be meeting up with a bunch of cool content creator friends that we've made along the way. So, for example, Adam Knight, known as Adam the Gathering, will be there. Um... And yeah, we're going to meet up and and hang out and play a lot of Magic. And I haven't been to a Magic event since uh, Magic Fest London, which was the last uh, event in the UK before... Was it? Or did Liverpool come after? I don't know. It was the last one that I could attend before the world stopped <laughs> for COVID-19 lockdowns. And we haven't had a UK fest since. There's not a Command Fest London, so it is just going to be Birmingham this year. Um, and yeah, I'm really excited. I'm a bit sad I can go only go to the Sunday, but, it, you know, such is life. If you're listening to this now, and you're in the UK, 
you're either not going to Command Fest Birmingham, which I am sorry that you, you haven't been able to go, or you're at Command Fest Birmingham listening to this as you're walking around the halls. Don't do that. Stop listening to this. Go play some Commander. But if you are still listening, even though I've just said that, and you want to say hi to me or Nathan, come up, say hi. It'd be great to see you. Uh, great to get a game in if we can. There's a world... Uh, plane chase event going on where it's there's like going to be like a whole section of different pods and all the pods have to go through the different planes together. <laughs> I don't know how they're going to do that, but that could be fun to witness and indeed play in. I've whittled down my six decks, so I'm going to be taking Atris, Karlov. I don't know why I said it like that. Kolov, Atris, Karlov, Tovalar, uh, Zeatora. I'm going to take. Uh, I'm also going to take Belb. And the last one I'm taking is Ruhan of the Fomori, of course. So I whittled it down. I've only got 10 decks at the moment, but I'm taking those six. I think that's a good spread of playstyles and colours. And yeah, can't wait. Going to be absolutely fantastic. All right. That's it from me. Sorry there's been such a gap between episodes. Uh, I've got a lot going on at the moment, quite frankly. And so I don't always have time to collect my magic thoughts. And you know what? There's a lot of magic news that I'm not really interested in at the moment. So, when something excites me like Double Masters, I've got to jump on that mic. Uh, obviously, we could be doing episodes just kind of out of Evergreen, and we are going to start doing those a bit more. And also, seeing as Nathan's back this side of the water, well, we'll see. All right. If I see a Magic Fest Birmingham, Command Fest Birmingham, it's not Magic Fest. If I see a Command Fest Birmingham, uh, can't wait. Come up and say hi. Be safe to all the people there on Saturday and indeed on Sunday. COVID's still a thing, so just please be sensible. Um, I hope all the different command fests around the planet as well are going well. Uh, I've seen a lot of exciting pulls and plays from all the US ones that I've been keeping up with on Twitter. If you do want to reach out to me on Twitter, it's at mtflavoring. Emails go to mtflavoring.com. My personal Twitter is at antmanface. Nathan's is at the fox in the moon. All right. Take care of yourself, magic people. All that remains to be to say is thank you so much for listening. This has been Magic Flavoring. Thank you.